What's going on, Joe? Ah, doing good. What's good with you? Not much. Just, I don't know. Back for another episode. Here we go. Yeah, just hanging out. First part of the 12-part series today. Getting into a a cultural phenomenon. One could say the, the cultural icon of our lifetimes. I would be shocked to find that somebody else one day eclipses the level of fame and, and notoriety that this person has achieved today. Um, just so many hits, so much hoopla around this person or it's it's unbelievable like i think back to i think back to like 2018 2019 and like so we're, we're talking taylor swift this is the first taylor swift episode today uh and i remember she came to detroit on tour and it was right around the time adele was huge too and i was thinking to myself like oh wow like taylor swift's getting the same kind of like buzz for her tour here in detroit that like adele got that's kind of crazy. And then COVID happened, and it felt like, I don't know, things got quiet for a minute. And then they fucking exploded and turned her into this, this like, unmatched figure in pop culture. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. it it's just, like, I, again, like, you think back to people like Michael Jackson or... Elton John. Elton John. I don't know, man. Like, there's there's many, 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 especially in music, like, iconic figures like must see people or artists and somehow she has put them clearly in the dust on every level man in terms of popularity in terms of just statistics um you know listens downloads sales da 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 so far in the dust that it's it's unmatched there's no comparison anymore yeah, there's dedicated social media accounts tracking everything that she does tracking, oh, tracking where she goes who she's seeing who she's with what she's talking about like everything it's just crazy i, I, I almost feel bad for and i know we mentioned this before like to an extent you kind of feel bad for her because it's like she's at that level where only like a handful of people get to where it's like you can't go to the grocery store you can't go out to dinner you can't go out and take a walk in the park without getting bombarded or having security <laughs> Like, it's just, it's crazy. Dude, do you remember, I think it was maybe last year, there was a, a, a rumor going around on Twitter that she was at, like, some small steakhouse off in the East Coast, maybe, like, Connecticut or something, and then, like, the fans got a hold of it and fucking bum-rushed the steakhouse? Yeah. It's fucking, like, who does that happen to? I, it, it <laughs> it's unreal, man. I mean, the list, uh, it, the list is, like, her and, I don't know, maybe a handful of other people? Yeah, like... Like, there are people who get the same treatment, but again, it's just on such another level, man. There's there's this, like, deep-rooted, like, connection to this person that, that is more than just, like, mm. a strong fandom. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like you feel like you're close to her. Yeah. They're, like, on a personal the, level. The people who are, like, super fans of Taylor are, are so deeply rooted in everything about her um, and around her. Um, and it just bleeds into it, it bleeds into everything, man. Like, you can't. You can't go on the internet these days and not see something, or, or or the radio or the TV, and not see something about her. Yeah. Do you think like part of it is because she has so many songs that are personal and and perhaps relatable that people just feel like this is like you know like one of my close friends, like you know we connect on so many things that I'm going through through my life, like she's gone through, so we connect on that level. Yes, but I don't think that makes her unique. Well, yeah, I guess that's that's a good point because that would be with a, a lot of different artists. Yeah. But I don't know. There's something about like. Uh, so I, I was kind of trying to like 
come up with an analogy that that somewhat made sense to me. Even this seems to pale in comparison. Maybe it doesn't. Taylor Swift fans fall into three categories, and I think it's very similar to people who are fans of the Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's like the very casual, very casual fan. Seen a couple movies, heard a couple of the hits. They know a little bit about this person and they like it. Mm -hmm. Then there's like somebody who very much enjoys the music, but like it, it stops at that extent. I like her music. She seems like a cool person. You know, I've I'm going to I'm going to listen to all the albums when they come out. I'm going to listen to all the singles. Yeah, I've seen the movies. I've never really got into the comics, uh, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> then there is like, oh, I've been reading Spider-Man since 1969. <laughs> and I I saw the trailer for the new Spider-Man and you didn't see the little thing in the corner of the screen. But that's telling all about how Iron Man's coming into this one. <laughs> and then we're going to see the Punisher out of nowhere. It's uh, and that that's a whole other level of Taylor Swift fans where it's like. Like, dude, it, she literally does anything, and and every little thing she does has some kind of like hit real it, or meaning. unreal yeah. subtext to it. Um, <laughs> that that is truly, it's just a, a devotion that few things in pop culture gain that level of like acclaim for. That people would actually care enough to know that much about Taylor Swift <laughs> that every Twitter post, every TikTok has some subtext about what's coming next. Yeah, that that part of it, I don't. I've never been able to relate to that because there's never been an artist where I'm like, oh, I need to know. Like, I don't understand. Like, why do you need to know what this person's doing? There's like, truly nothing I care that much about. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like of course she has to eat. Like, you know, yeah, like she's at the steakhouse. Like, yeah, like she's got to eat. Like, who cares? Perfect example. What's going on right now? The whole thing about you. I don't know if you've even seen this. There was a, there was a small vocal minority of people who were concerned about Taylor Swift's safety in a relationship with Travis Kelsey because of the way he treated Andy Reid on the sideline during the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, the, the the, I, I'm not going to lie. When I saw Travis Kelsey do that at first, the thought did cross my mind like as, a jo- <laughs> as like a joke. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that's exactly what I texted you the other day. And a few other guys, I was like, you know, if, if you ever have a thought that's like so crazy that you wouldn't want to share it with us, just know somebody's tweeted it. <laughs> And that's exactly what happened. It's yeah, no, wild. When it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, that would be kind of funny. Like if people people are going to spin this as like, oh, wow, like he's a dangerous man. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's he's going to physically abuse her. Da, 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 da. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's unreal, man. But that's uh, that's pretty much the main thing that that's got me interested in doing these is I just I want it over the course of these. Well, what will be what? Eleven albums and then some other stuff. Um I want to try to understand from a musical perspective and then from like an acclaimed perspective, because certainly when Taylor Swift came onto the scene, she was no, I think a good comparison is like Miley Cyrus, right? Similar in the fact that they both started their musical careers at a fairly young age. Um, But one of these people had a Disney channel show, had, you know, singing props that were shown on the Disney channel. show, and, so when she came into the scene, she already had a little bit of an acclaim. Um, whereas then uh, Taylor Swift is a nobody when she comes onto the scene. When she comes out with this debut album we're going to talk about today, really is just a girl that's living in Nashville and trying to make it big. A lot of other people do that. She's still a teenager. Yeah, she's 14, 15 when she f- signs her first record deal. You know what I th- I think part of it is where that like has all the allure and like people following everything that she does is – 
she's in a unique situation where no other artists, or at least none that I'm aware of, have done this, where they've gotten into dispute with the record label and like over over the rights of the, her previous music, and she's going and re-recording all of her old albums. Like, can you think of another artist that has done that? No, it's I, a brilliant. It's, it's it's one of the. It's like a. T- it's three D chess, dude. It's seven D chess. It's <laughs> an absolute masterstroke because there are plenty of other artists who have found themselves in the situation. The Beatles never owned their masters. Mm. Never. Um, That's crazy. Uh, among many, many, many other artists, never owned their masters, and so they kind of found themselves in the situation where, like, shit, I'll never own this. Uh, I, you know, I'd have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to own this. Um, I think Michael Jackson at one point might have bought out his masters. Um, You know, there have been people who have done it. But the dedication and the willingness to say, hey, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm a certain amount older than I was when I wrote and performed some of these albums. Fuck you. I'm going back and doing them better than the first time I did them. And you won't own a cent of that. And guess what? I have billions of people around the earth who are never going to play your stu- your fucking master again ever. It is a genius move. You do have to have a certain amount of pull to get your fans to like say, you know what, you know, fuck you to Scooter Braun and, and whoever. Like, I'm going to go and listen to Taylor's version of everything. But I think a lot more artists have enough pull where they could get away with it. This this ties back into my my Avengers uh, comparison where it's like, I think what makes her unique part I, I think a lot of what makes her unique is the storytelling it's mm-hmm. more than just the music it's everything around her it's it's the boys it's the record label issue it's the the kanye spit spat which i don't even want to get into today sure we need to get into next week um and her voice is like one of the ni- oh, prettiest nicest sweetest voices i've ever heard that's all aside from the musical talent yeah, yeah the yeah. musical talent is there okay okay but i think again that doesn't make her unique there's plenty of like Again, Adele, sure. very musically talented, doesn't have all this hoopla around her. But it's this storytelling, this, like, <laughs> to use a trope, this girl boss energy that I think just really, like, like tugs at people in a way that, that I, there's not many other people who, who have this this uncanny, like, thing about them. The it factor. This Time, it factor. Times a million. Yeah. The it factor. The one, so, of, yeah. one of one it factor. I think that's a I think that's a good way to preface kind of what we're doing for the next twelve weeks with this miniseries and uh, kind of gets us a start on this first episode here today. Before we get into the episode, I know you had a few things you wanted to knock out here. Uh yeah sure. So the the first one was in the Super Bowl halftime show. I sent this to you on Twitter. X. Yeah. Uh, her artist H E R was playing a guitar and it looked like she was shredding on that said guitar playing solos and sweet licks and all yeah, that pretty cool. Yeah. And I guess she wasn't actually like hooked up to an amp playing that live because of some, the Super Bowl has some rule where like they don't allow people to do that anymore. Like to play, let me pull up the tweet. Yeah. I, I skimmed this tweet, but I guess I didn't, I didn't pull that out of it. Well, that seems insane because, like, they've had plenty of rock artists on there before who would have been playing instruments. Frankly, they should have cut Travis Scott's mic the whole time he was on and just uh, dubbed over him. Right. But, I mean, from an untrained eye, she looked pretty genuinely playing guitar to me. 
And even if she wasn't, how about this? Even if she wasn't, fuck anybody who's like, oh, she's not actually playing. Well, so I think with the Super Bowl, the NFL pre-records like the bass, drums, and guitars since it's too much of a pain in the butt to get like different instruments hooked up live with all the like, you know how like the stage is always moving and like yeah. there's a million people doing different things. Okay. So it's like pre-recorded. Okay. So like. How cheesy is that if she was, you know, sh- shredding on the guitar and it's not actually playing live? I guess, man. But at the end of the day, it's still a performance. If you thought it was real, it was real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. But you know, I don't know if it's shame on maybe it's shame on the NFL for yeah. allowing that to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'd go with it. If if they're so unequipped to to handle live musical performance like that that they have to pre-record everything and and then it is what it is but uh i guess it's it's shame on i i wasn't aware of this so when i read it i was like oh what like yeah why is that a thing how can they not have live music for one of the biggest live performances of the year right that's strange and i had listened to some stuff earlier this week talking about the usher halftime show and from everybody i listened to it sounds like i'm not familiar with her work at all but uh it sounds like she's a fairly acclaimed musician so it wouldn't shock me to find out that she could she either a recorded that herself or b like just generally could do that if she was hooked up. Um, it wouldn't shock me. I think it's fine that it's pre-recorded. It's just cheesy to have it pre-recorded and then have it look like you're shredding when yeah. you're not. Anti-football hating pussy Roger Goodell <laughs> at it again. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that was the first thing. The second thing, I don't know if you saw this, but there is a conspiracy theory on a thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton. Have you? Did you read this? No. So, uh, the theory is that the song is about Glenn Howerton, aka Dennis from It's yeah, Always Sunny. Yeah. Which is it's hilarious because like, I I don't know like just Dennis's character is like an all time like bad guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like the dentist system, do you, yeah. Are you oh, familiar with dude, the show? Like, always Sunny's hilarious. Yeah. So this is from uh, a user on Reddit saying, "Is the song a thousand miles about Glenn?" I'm watching this documentary on YouTube about a thousand miles, and she mentioned Vanessa Carlton mentions that it's about a crush she had on a Juilliard student who she was too shy to actually talk to. She didn't want to name him because he's a famous actor. She was a ballet student in New York City in 1994 until she graduated, and Glenn was at Juilliard in 1996. So the dates kind of line up. Glenn is four years older than her, so maybe the song is about him. And then they put together a group of uh, actors that were at Juilliard at the time. Yeah. So there's Glenn Howerton, uh, Wes Ramsey, Stephen Boyer, Jeffrey Carlson, Anthony Mackie, and Lee Pace. So you narrowed it down to those six uh, different actors. And then they basically went through that list and like said, well, these these people are more like Broadway, so they're not. It doesn't make sense. So. If they narrowed it down to Glenn Howerton and Anthony Mackey, who is uh, Falcon from the show MCU, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just kind of funny that such a such a sweet romantic song <laughs> <laughs> could be about. And obviously, it's a character, right? But it is funny when you contextualize it that way. That like this shit bag is the uh, the apple of her eye. <laughs> right. I mean, because I don't think any like what else is Glenn Howerton in that you'd be like, oh yeah, like you know, like it's just Sunny. Yeah, I was gonna say I think he's been in a couple movies, but his 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 role is Dennis in in Sonny. Yeah, <laughs> the the funny thing about that show, dude, is like they're all bad people. I've heard them talk about this before, where it's like the joke is none of them are supposed to be relatable, right? From Frank to to D to any of them, they're just shitheads. <laughs> and and like it's so it's like it's almost like stupid. It, it's brilliant, but it's stupid in a way where you could just like sit back and kind of like chuckle at like. Uh, 
I'm forgetting the other Charlie. Like Charlie's such an idiot. Such a character. It's such a character. You just sit back and be like, oh, what a dumbass. <laughs> All of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, I what a fantastic show. One of my uh I got a buddy lives lives down in Mexico and he sent me a clip from Always Sunny the other day. It was just like ha 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 ha. I was like, dude, you ever seen this show? You gotta sit down and watch this. He was like, Oh, I've never seen it. And I got a big smile on my face, like, oh, he's in for a treat. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, probably like the first eight, nine, ten seasons are really, really great. Fantastic. I haven't watched some of the newer ones. No, nah, neither have I. I probably got up to season ten or eleven. Yeah, same. Good stuff. And then the last thing I have here, I saw this article in the wild. This is just some of the ridiculous writers that famous artists have. So I'll just go through these quickly, and you can you know comment on them as you want. So Beyonce, a hotel room at seventy-seven degrees Fahrenheit all the time in a buffet but without Coca-Cola because she's sponsored by Pepsi. I don't think that's that ridiculous. The ridi- the most ridiculous part about that is setting the hotel room to 77 degrees. That's hot. Are you a fucking <laughs> vampire? Trying to sweat through the sheets. Holy shit. Is this some kind of weight loss technique that I'm not familiar with? Like, Dude, 77, that's like... That's a sauna, man. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine trying to crawl under covers and sleep like that, especially like big hotel comforters. That's, that's a psycho move. Like, you're supposed to sleep in the cold, but like sleeping in the heat, that's just... That's weird. Who's going to carry the logs? <laughs> Next up, Rihanna. This one's not that bad. Well, I don't know. Blue silk curtains and a dozen candles. The dozen candles is fine. I don't know. Why do you have to have blue silk? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no comment. <laughs> Strange. Uh, next up, Paul McCartney. Plants everywhere and meat nowhere. He's a big animal rights advocate. I, uh, okay. In what scenario? That could be simplified to, hey, I am a vegetarian or a vegan. Just, you know, vegan diet, please. Instead of, hey, you know what? Make it look like poison ivy's been fucking in my room for the last <laughs> two weeks. A- and also, if I see if I see a shred of chicken anywhere, I'm going to lose my shit. Yeah, like if he doesn't ask for it, nobody's going to put meat. <laughs> yeah. you know? like, nobody's just going to throw a hunk of ham in his room. <laughs> Sir, I've got your turkey club at the door. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. So next up is Jay-Z. Jay-Z demands seven dressing rooms. I think some of that is for, like, his crew. Yeah, okay. Uh, he also wants his room at 77 degrees Fahrenheit. All right, enough of this. <laughs> like, dude, so him and Beyonce are just walking around in a sauna at all time at homes. <laughs> one, I, uh, my guess is one of them loves having the room at 77, and the other's like, not if you request. Not if they both request it when they're separate on uh, tour. I guess, I guess if they're separate, yeah. But after, well, maybe that, I'm I'm just wrong. Maybe that's how they got through Jay Z cheating on her. Is that they're both like, well, who else are we gonna find that wants to have sleep the at seventy seven? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And then he also has forty eight bottles of Fiji water, six cans of Coke, six cans of Red Bull, and six bottles of vitamin water. He uh, apparently doesn't have the Pepsi only clause like Beyonce. Okay. Yeah, and all those – I think Vitamin Water is a Coke brand. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, next up is Celine Dion, a private jet, 75 first-class hotel rooms for her production team. All right, fuck you. <laughs> 75 first-class rooms? That's a lot. You can't put any of these motherfuckers in the queen suite? They estimated on the site the cost of the request at three hundred and fifty grand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she's got to pull in a million – just to just to crack <laughs> even. That's that's a crazy one. Unreal. 
Oh, and she also wants a mandatory temperature of 71.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck off. 71.6. I don't think I've ever even seen it. Have you ever seen a thermometer that has decimals? No, no, especially in a hotel. Now, that, that being said, I've never stayed in the Four Seasons, but I've never seen a hotel thermometer, even in a nice hotel, that isn't just like 71, 72, 73. What the hell? That's a wild request. Next up is Cher. This one's not that bad, but she requires a separate hotel room for all her wigs, which is a integral part of like her look. Yeah. I don't know how many she has, but <laughs> it, I guess how many wigs would you have to have before you need a separate hotel room? All right. Hold on. I'm, I'm actually trying to. This is. You ever seen like the the joke about interview questions where it's like how many ping pong balls can you fit on an airplane? <laughs> if someone asks me that, I'm gonna be like a million and just walk out of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me think about this for a second because you got, I imagine you got to have a little stand for each wig, right? That like holds the wig, so maybe like twenty. I guess even, but like if, if she's in a first class suite, she doesn't have enough room for twenty wigs in her suite. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a crazy request. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just also say that, like, it, it is a crazy request, but also what's another 200 a night for sh- or 500 a night for share? I mean, I guess. That's not the 350000 True, for, true, you know. true. And then her other two requests, these ones aren't that bad. Aloe vera tissues, I can align with that. Those are nice. Yep. And then she o- only drink out of black cups. That one, that's a little bit pompous. What in the fuck? If if somebody came over to my house and said something along the lines of I will only drink out of black cups, immediately right back to the door, be like, gone. At what point in your life do you become so big of a star where you're like, "You know what?" I think I'm done drinking out of any other any cup that's not a black cup. <laughs> like, how do you even get there? Like, does it, uh, the water taste better coming out of a black oh, cup? Oh, dude, it's got to be some, like, wild Joe Rogan, like, not Joe Rogan-esque. Or you get my point. Like, pseudoscience bullshit that's like, you know, the, the photosynthesis in the black cup, uh, <laughs> it mixes with the water and the minerals, and it turns into the fucking diamonds. Yeah, just a junk science. Yeah. Uh, that That's, that, that uh, dude, if I was setting out, if I was a hotel worker at like the Four Seasons or whatever, and I am reading the stupid writer request, and it's like, oh, I have to go buy black cups. I think I'd quit my job on the spot. Because <laughs> uh, then it, it, it's like, was this cup black? You know, how dark is black? Oh, this man. is gray. Send it back. Yeah. Fuck you. Uh, four more here. I'm just doing the whole list. This, uh, this is kind of funny. Yeah. This is the worst one on the whole list. Blue you, Skittles only? No, m- much more worse. Mary J. Blige requires a new toilet seat every place she goes fuck you (laughs) she has someone install a brand new toilet seat before she sits down and takes a big poop how crazy is that (laughs) (laughs) oh dude that's like ocd on another level right there it's just like okay in her you know million dollar mansion she's not replacing the toilet seat every time she poops yeah it's just so it's just uh if anyone else's ass her ass is literally cleaner than everybody else's yeah, fuck off. Fuck you. I, that's, dude. That if I again, if I was a plumber and I was asked to do that, I don't know how, but maybe I'd like put like some Tabasco sauce on the seat. I don't know, <laughs> something to try and like <laughs> send a message or just do like the Saran wrap trip trip just to <laughs> fuck with her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, I'd leave an upper decker before I leave <laughs> from placing the seat. Oh, man, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. And then uh, this one's not bad. Will Smith, a two-story two-story trailer for filming. That one's whatever. A uh, hotel room for his wife's wigs. <laughs> Whoa! Watch out, man. <laughs> Steady. Uh, and then two more. Barbara Streisand, a police dog to check the premises before her arrival. Okay, that sounds crazy, but it's really not that crazy. No, I, I don't think that one's that. That's that's far less egregious than only drinking out of black cups or. Yeah. That's just being paranoid about your safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To an extent, I I get it. It's it seems crazy. It's but far I get more it. relatable than yeah having a plumber install yeah. a new toilet seat. <laughs> I was expecting you to pull out one of these that was like, like, yeah, like the only pink sprinkles or like, I don't know, some shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I remember on PMT OAR was on. They did an interview and they're like, yeah, we always had them put like a fifth of whiskey and a carton of cigarettes. And then we realized that it was coming out of our like budget Pocket. and then we stopped <laughs> doing that. I remember uh, we got a local um, kind of like shock jock radio dave and chuck the freak here yeah and i remember when they were working at the old station they used to have to do uh some work with like artists that would come in for concerts they were promoting and i remember them in particular bitching about some 41 and how ridiculous their rider was oh really it would be like you know brand new socks and you know fucking like six pairs and you know, just oddball like stupid shit and if it was any like little bit off they would throw a bitch fit dude who does some 41 think they are the, they, they, let me tell you they're not fallout boy <laughs> some 41 get the fuck out of here i've got one more and then uh there's actually a couple more on the list but i'll, I'll save it for next week okay this last one is prince requires a house with five bedrooms you know what <laughs> my my whole picture of Prince is just the Chappelle skit. And imagining <laughs> imagining Prince going on tour, I just think every night after the show he goes back and there's this massive party and it's just the Chappelle skit over and over and over again. So yeah, that makes sense. It's one of the that's a top ten like comedy oh, skit of dude, all time. Hilarious. All timer. Did you, the story too when Carlos Boozer was on PMT where he was running out of house. Yeah, he had his one. house in L.A. and he got injured or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, he was running out the house and he rented out to Prince and Prince was like. He painted all the walls in all the rooms in Carlos Boozer's house black or, or it was either black or purple. Yeah. And then like he like changed the locks to and everything. <laughs> and like so Carlos Boozer gets injured and then he goes like to the house and he's like, what the fuck? Like, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why is this all painted? And then uh, Prince was like, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And then before he left, he had it all painted back. Yeah. <laughs> How crazy is that? <laughs> don't worry about me, Tom. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I know that that took up a decent amount of time, but I thought no, that, was, a good, that was a, that's a good little that was a fun article. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Alrighty, back to the source material here. T-Swift, first album, debut album, self-titled. And we're doing Taylor's version. Ta well, there isn't a Taylor's version yet, but this is Taylor's version of Flip the Record. So. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, they so she hasn't re-recorded this one yet. It's coming, just hasn't been done yet. And I would imagine this is probably the bottom her, her, of her like priorities, frankly. Um, I, I found myself listening to a few of the other albums as we've gone through the last couple weeks, and I just find this album to be a little bit lacking let me put it to you this way. She recorded this when she was like 15 or 16. Yeah. And at 15 or 16, your voice just hasn't fully developed yet. And you're 
your talents as like a songwriter haven't fully developed yet. I will say there's a lot of like great songwriting on this album and there's a lot of great singing on this album. But in comparison to some of her other stuff, I think this is lesser than that. Not to say it's bad. It's just lesser than some of her other stuff. Totally agree. You know what's funny is Sony had her basically like when she was done with school, she would go to the studio and they just said, just record whatever's on your mind. Like start writing songs based off of that, which is kind of like it's a, a, a funny move by them just to be like, we know that you're so talented. We just want you to re- like literally write about your math class if that's what's on your mind. But that's interesting, too, because that's that's exactly how the album presents. Like, there's all these songs that, that present as like, oh, today, you know, this boy, I, I love this boy, but he wouldn't even look at me. And I was just sitting there in math class all day, like looking at him, and he didn't even look at me once. And I'm just, oh, that's how the album presents. And it's, it's a kind of a master stroke by, so she's, she, 14 or 15 year old, she signs with Big Machine Records, which I guess are, you're saying it's a subdivision of Sony. Yeah, I believe so, from what I was reading. Sure. Um, but it, it's a brand new label, too. This guy, Scott Borchetta, he was working at uh, DreamWorks Studios. And right before Taylor signed this record deal, he breaks off from DreamWorks and starts this Big Machine Records. Taylor Swift's like the first artist he signed. He finds her wow. in this little like cafe coffee shop uh, just doing you know covers in Nashville. Um, and immediately is like, hey, this is, this is what I'm going to start with. So 14 years old, he sees her in this coffee shop in Nashville doing that, signs her on, and starts working on this album. Another kind of crazy detail on all this is they bring in a producer, uh, Nate, ah, fuck, I kept, Nate Chapman, uh, who was fairly inexperienced with, with production. Um, he was kind of a studio mandolin player, um, which is that, like, sweet, hovery uh, strings instrument. Um and had done, you know, dabbled in production, but wasn't really like a producer, let's say. Um, so much so that like he was doing his production, not even like in a studio or anything. He was doing this little shack behind a house somewhere in Nashville, just out in the sticks a little bit, you know. Hmm. Um, but he, I think, adds a lot on this album, too. So like on the tracks, you hear her voice kind of like uh, double up a little bit. Underneath that is Scott, uh, not Scott, uh, is Nathan Chapman singing under her to add a little bit of bass to her voice he's singing as well yeah oh, okay i was wondering so who that was you'll you'll hear that on a few different songs especially in choruses where he just he'll pluck in for a few lines and come out pluck in come out they also have her work on writing her songs with liz ross who has worked with a bunch of other like you know big country stars for writing songs so they 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 gave her uh i don't want to word this she had a lot of great pieces to help her out with writing this album and, and recording this album. Yeah, it's a perfect confluence of, of time and place. And, and a little bit of luck, right? Yeah. Because like, if, if she gets put with some some writer that's not as good or a producer that stinks, sure. like, you know. Could have been anybody. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works out great. Liz Rose adds a lot to her oh, song. Oh, Liz Rose. Yeah, oh, my bad. Rose, I think yeah. I said Ross. Yeah, my no bad. biggie. Um, and, and Borchetta, you know, he just – he he has this vision. I, it's on. Un, it's unreal to find a fourteen year old and be like, "That's gonna be my lead artist on this new label." Yeah. Um, and it all it all just comes together really really well. It it strikes at the heart. I I remember, I remember having this record in my house. Uh, I would have been maybe what, ten years old, something like that. My sister would have been seven, something like that. And I remember just hearing this over and over and over, just 
every day, man. My sister get home from school, pop this into the the CD player. Um, and that's not unique, I don't think. That's very much the target audience of this of this album. You know, teenage girls anywhere from uh, let's say like six, seven up to seventeen, something like that. And that's exactly what Taylor is right now. She's a fifteen, sixteen year old going through all these things. Um, and I think that context is important when you look at it now that. You know, some of these songs, if she went back and re-recorded today, might not be nearly as personal to her. Um, but in the time, are, are extremely personal. Um, yeah, definitely. And we'll get into that as we go. I think that's a good preamble if you want to just get right into it now, huh? Yeah, so the first song is titled Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw, right out the gate. It's a bit bold to, to your first track. This is the first single that's released off the album to, I don't want to say call out, but to drop by name one of the biggest artis artists in country music when you're a nobody. Um, and this song kind of goes nuts on country radio. You know, after the album comes out, after the single comes out, Taylor goes on this, like, barnstorming tour across the country on uh, country radio, um, just meeting with, with anybody she can get in front of that's on the radio, being like, hey, you know, check this album out, listen to what I'm doing, play it on your radio station. Um, and Tim McGraw kind of gets this, like, inkling that, that – this is going around and the i <laughs> side note i googled taylor or i didn't google i searched taylor swift in the podcast like apple pods you would be shocked how many podcasts there are dedicated to taylor swift uh anyway so i listened to one and uh the the way they they kind of contextualized it is like tim mcgraw heard this and basically had this moment of like holy shit I'm like the old guy that the kids are singing about now. <laughs> is this happening to me? Am I like, am I over the hill? Oh, really? And uh, I don't think that's ever been like said by Tim. I think if you asked him, he would be like, hey, I'm just very honored to have her like doing a song about or not about me, but like using my name. And I think she's a talented artist. But there is this awkward moment at the CMAs in 2009 where she's performing this song and Tim Graw and Faith Hill are sitting in the front row just kind of watching this oddly together. She's sitting up there by herself, just strumming away, playing the song. Again, it's not about Tim, but it it's a bit of like, again, back to what I said, like, holy shit, I'm, I'm done. Uh, and at the end of the song, again, they're just sitting there kind of quietly enjoying the song. At the end of the song, Taylor just kind of stands up and reaches out to them like, hi, I'm Taylor. And Tim kind of like looks around like, what the fuck's going on? And he has to go up on stage and like wave to everybody. And oh, wow. It's a wild moment. Uh, check that one out on YouTube if you get a minute. But yeah, it's kind of funny because like if Tim McGraw is singing about like, you know, Alan Jackson or yeah, or like, I don't Hank know, Williams. Yeah, Hank Williams, uh, you know, one of the one of the old guys. Wins. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And, like, then, and then he has that moment where he's like, oh, wow, like they're singing about me. But it, it, I think. It further emphasizes the point of, of him like being over the hill. Not so much that it's just a young artist, but it's a young teenage girl. Right. It's a young teenage girl that's like being like, hey, this is what my dad listened to. These guys rock. Uh, you know, it's it, there's something striking about that. But the way she confidently first song in the album, first single. And the I listened to a couple other things. Basically. This was one of the first songs that she brought to Borchetta when they started recording this album, and immediately he, he was like, yep, this is the single. Mm. Um, and it's cool because they worked together on Highway Don't Care, I think, in 2013, so a couple years later. Right. Again, a little time passes, her fame you know, accumulates, and all of a sudden he's a little less terrified, maybe. But <laughs> um, 
yeah regardless really cool track really good way to open it's just this like slow twangy love song um plucky tuned up simple acoustic and strings uh mid-level vocals just sweetly singing along uh it's not super complex musically it's a very you know musically fairly basic acoustic track um but her voice is just so sweet and comforting that it's easy listening great way to open yeah so fun fact about this one she wrote this in her freshman math class and like you said this was her first ever published song debut single Uh, she was dating a senior named drew dunlap who we'll talk about a little bit later Uh, and she kind of was like oh you know we're gonna break up once he leaves for college so she wrote this song as like um kind of to memorialize their time together and the line, you know, when you think Tim McGraw, I hope you think my favorite song, the one we danced to all night long, the moon like a spotlight on the lake. When you think happiness, I hope you think that little black dress. So, like, the songwriting, that, that's a... It's clever. Yeah. Very, it's very it's clever. not just, like, I'm going to miss you when you go to college. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cool way to go about, like, what she's going through at that point in her life. Yeah, yeah, it's... Got to respect it, at least from a songwriting perspective. Really, really, really smart with this one. Yeah. Uh, I Did you listen to the commentary album on this at all? Well, so, no, I had a hard <laughs> enough time finding this album. <laughs> no, no joke, dude. When I searched, I, I went to Taylor Swift discography and then albums, and this Spotify, didn't, pop up. Up. It didn't pop up in Spotify. I had to go in and search Taylor Swift and then sort it to albums, and then it eventually popped up. Like, But it wasn't the first one on the list. It was Spotify, if you're listening. You don't want this smoke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny. But no, so there is a commentary album that they put out a little while back. Um, and it's this very, like, NPR, like, middle-aged woman doing little commentary snippets where they pull old clips from Taylor talking about some of the different songs or just, like, things she was going through. And uh, it, it's a hilarious listen if you can find it at all. It, again, just, like, the woman is so NPR. It's, welcome back to another episode. or not oh boy. Another, uh, yeah, it's like, welcome back. We're covering Taylor's debut album today, which always comes out in the fall. This is her debut album, Taylor Swift. Today, we're going to get into... It's just so horribly... It's a horrible listen. But after a few tracks, I found myself laughing at just how like robotic and NPR this person was <laughs> in comparison to 15-year-old Taylor Swift writing these songs. It's, it's, it's a funny listen. Yeah. The next track on the album is Picture to Burn, I don't like this one as much. This is another one about a guy that she didn't ever officially date, uh, but it is a song about a, a guy that she almost dated. Yeah, no, I think this is kind of a fun one, man. I don't know. Like, you start off with that slow acoustic ballad, and then you get in right into this country rocky sound to it, man. Uh, electric guitars out and ripping. Uh, a t- a up-tempo plucky banjo mixes in. Uh, you got the mandolin strings mix- mixing in these like quick washy drums um taylor's kind of up in her higher level on the mic for most of it kind of letting it rip this is a very uh let's say maybe carrie underwood style uh country track yeah Um, that's a good comparison it's just a barn burner man uh i could see you know it's not super relatable to us but um you know it's a fun track again in context it's a teenage girl who's so upset about this guy that that i don't know didn't necessarily like antagonize her in any way except that they didn't date and she's just pissed off about it and ready to say fuck you yeah and the I, it is the line as far as i'm concerned you're just another picture to burn that's a, a clever line clever metaphor yeah it is cool and uh the swifties figured out that this song was about a guy named jordan i won't say his last name but you know 
this is where she said on the album she would basically go to the studio after school each day and yeah, just write yeah, what yeah. she was feeling. So that's like why like you get the raw lines in the song like I hate his stupid truck that he doesn't let me drive. He's yeah. such a redneck. Oh my gosh. Dude, there's a funny in the music video for this. There's a funny preamble to it where she's like hanging out with her friend and her and her friend see uh, this guy driving or not even driving. He's in his truck with another girl who's driving the truck. And Taylor's like, she's driving the truck. He wouldn't let me ever drive the truck. Uh, it's a it's a cool little music video. Uh, Taylor said on the originally she had the lyric, "Go and tell your friends that I'm obsessive and crazy." That's fine. I'll tell mine you're gay, which she <laughs> decided to change as to not be offensive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good call. Yeah. Well, foresight. Yeah, definitely. All righty, next one. Teardrops of my guitar. One of the other hits off this album. Uh, slower, sad, kind of banjo acoustic track. Um, slow, simple drums, vocals mostly in this mid to mid low range. But it's these types of songs, and I don't necessarily think it's so. M- I, I gotta be very specific with what I'm trying to say here. It's the sad, slow ballads, the in particular the sad ones where I think her voice is masterful. There's something about the way she sings that just kills you, man. You hear everything in her voice. It's perfect on this track in particular. Yeah, this is, I think, my favorite track off the album. I really like this track. So this was written about another guy. His name was uh, Drew. And there's actually a, a kind of a, a fun story on this one. Um, two years after this album came out in the United States, he showed up to her driveway. Because like in the song, she sings... You know, Drew walks by me. Can he tell that I can't breathe? And there he goes so perfectly, the kind of flawless I wish I could be, which is super sweet. So he shows up to her driveway two years after the album comes out, and she's like, you know, you're kind of a little bit too late for this. Like, if you had come right after the album came out, we might be able to to talk or date, but you're a little bit late here. (laughs) Yeah, what are we doing? And later on in life, this part isn't funny, him and his wife were arrested on charges of child abuse. So, good thing that she did not give Drew a chance after he came to her doorstep two years after this album came out. Fun facts with Joey. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Next one, A Place in This World. And this is where you get a little bit of her pop, like, vibe to it. Um, You start to see the percolation of a pop career coming through on this track. Uh, Mid-tuned electric guitar, pounding drums, and these sweet, smooth strings. Um, bit more up tempo, higher energy. She's testing the high range again. You could tell the voice just hasn't fully developed yet, uh, but it's still really good. Um, and then she also mixes it in with like some of these nice, softer, sweet lines. Um, I, I felt this track was very much candy in, in the sense that it's it's fun, it's poppy, but there's not much substance to it. Oh shit! Steady. Don't tell me we haven't been recording this whole. been recording I've been hearing you I've been hearing you in the headset your mic yeah that would have been I would have been pissed crisis averted boys and girls (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that Uh, Uh, yeah a place in this world this one just all right for me it's kind of a you know simple song about trying to find your place in the world but it's a little bubble gum yeah yeah Next up is Cold As You, which is a slower, you know, sweet singing kind of song. It's it's not bad. It's just not my type of song. This is uh, 
Nobody does dis quite diss tracks quite like Taylor Swift. And this is although Picture the Burn could fall in that category, I think this is the first pointedly diss track. And I think the writing here is bitter and like biting as hell. Just the I've never been a place as cold as you. That's an awesome line. It's an all timer, dude. Yeah. Perfect, perfect writing there. Um, but yeah, what you mentioned here, it's a sad, low ballad, uh, slow piano, washy drums all the way through mixed with like little bits of acoustic guitar and mandolin in, in and out. Um, I think she does a great job of like really raising and lowering levels through the lines. It's like, it feels like she's almost a little bit conversational through the verses. And then you hear like the way you might argue with somebody like you're talking, talking. And as you're talking, you get angrier and your voice raises a little. And then you get to that chorus and you're just like, fuck you. Uh, That's the kind of like feeling I got here. And from that sense, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. She wrote this song with Liz Rose and said this is one of her favorite songs off the album, if not the favorite. And yeah, just the, the line. I've never been anywhere cold as you is all time line. So one of these uh, one of these Swifty tracking bits that I, I picked up along my, my podcast listening, I guess track five on the album has some significance as across all of her albums. It's usually something she finds very personal. And oh, very I think it's uh, Dear John on Speak Now. Yeah. 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 Fuck you, John Mayer. Fuck you, John Mayer. I we'll, we'll get to it when we do Speak Now. Yeah. But I want to try to keep us in a chronological order because there's so much to talk about. So but uh. Yeah, apparently track five across all the albums is supposed to be somewhat significant, and that's this track here. So. You know what would be funny is if we just put a picture of Taylor Swift's head over the John, <laughs> John Mayer playing the guitar. Oh, maybe next week we'll just, like, printer paper or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All righty. Next one, The Outside. Um, again, this just feels like one of the out, one of the songs you'll have on a first album. Uh, it's fun, jangly, up tempo, kind of pop country. Uh, drums really driving this track. It's a very complex, up tempo drum pattern. Uh, fun, twangy, kind of mixing banjo and guitar. Um, it's a good one to have, as in, in the sense too that like you'll play this one live and it'll get the, the energy up a little bit. So this one's really cool. She actually wrote this when she was twelve years old, which is crazy. Hell yeah! Like, and uh, she said in an interview that. You know, she would write songs about relationships, even if she wasn't necessarily in a relationship, just because she would get inspiration from like what she observed from other people in her life. And she followed that up with, I've always felt so lucky because I've never needed an escape like drinking or drugs or anything like that to escape from the bad days. Music has always been that escape for me. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I think that's something that, uh, again, people can relate to that. I, I think it's a sentiment that a lot of musicians across the spectrum of genres have, have echoed. Um and it's something that people can just relate to, whether it's music or sports or whatever your thing is. Like, you can dive into that and kind of, you know, tune into yourself when it feels like you're alone or whatever. Or even if it is drinking and drugs, at least you can realize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my hobby, heroin. Yeah. But no, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, next one, tied together with a smile. Cool little story on, not cool, but interesting little story on this one. But um, this... This is the first one, not the first one necessarily. Let me not say that, but subtly felt like a very Taylor Swift song. Like in the over the course of her catalog, this feels like it would fall very much in like the middle of that Taylor Swift sound. Mm. Um, Slow, low ballad here. Layered vocals with that producer uh, throughout. 
Um, so I don't like that they have him doing the background vocals on some of these songs. Like some of the songs, some are I better think than it, others. I think some of the songs, it's like it might be better just without him. Well, and, and like I said, I think they used him as kind of a as an effect more than anything on her voice, right? They could have produced it that way to deepen her voice in certain bits to try to add some depth. Um, instead, they just went this route. Um, there's certain songs I really like it. There's other ones, it's just whatever. I don't necessarily not like it on this song. I think it's pretty good. Uh, but I, I could see where that would be a bit maybe uh, too much. Um, regardless, you hear it here. And I think it when it when it does deepen her voice, like songs like this, you hear the pain coming out of her out of the mic. Um, and it's just like it, it's a beautiful song uh, because it's that bittersweet sound to it. Yeah, and it's also a beautiful song. She wrote this for someone that was really popular at her high school and, like, you know, the girl that everyone wanted to be and all the guys wanted to be with, and she had an eating disorder. So it was, like, one of those things where, you know, on the surface everything looks like it's great, but it's it's really not. Right, and tears of a clown type deal. Yeah, and the line, you're tied together with a smile, but you're coming undone is, is really powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Next one, Stay Beautiful. This one struck me as kind of like a campfire song thing uh, here. Very choppy acoustic and simple mid-tempo drums. Um, the chorus really adds up, though, here. And I think she does a master class of getting into her high range on this song. Yeah, her vocals are great on this track. Yeah, and the strings that come in on the chorus are just adding this final little, like, dash of sugar on top of it. It's just, it's it's perfect, man. I really like this one. Yeah, this is also one of my favorites from the album. And this was about a boy that she had a crush on in high school. Not that they, again, they didn't actually date, but... Right. Just something where she had a crush on a guy and was able to, to take that and get inspiration for the song, which is really cool. It's one thing I've noticed through the first three albums as I've listened is, like, she seems to create – there there is a, a portion of her songwriting that lives in this, this world of fantasy mm-hmm. uh, that lives in her own head that's like, well, maybe if I was a princess, like, this is how this would play out. Maybe if, like, I dated this guy, this is how that would work out. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and everyone has those moments, especially, like, in high school when you fantasize about, like, oh, what if I was, you know, dating this person? Yeah. And the fact that she's able to contextualize that into these awesome songs is it's better than me just sitting there daydreaming, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's uh, back to the relatability of a a teenage girl. I think that's something that that teenagers in general do. They they fantasize. Sure, sure. It's just very relatable for that that demographic, let's say. Yeah, the next track is Should Have Said No. I think this is my favorite track on the album. Hmm. I'm not convinced yet, but I'm getting there. Higher energy, kind of twangy country rocker here. Banjo and thick electric guitar, um, just heating it up. Taylor really flexing her anger into the mic. Um, Tense verses, like, again, with that conversational rise and rise until, like, an angry yell. this is an absolute banger. I think this one sounds a little bit more like current Taylor Swift with some of her like inflections and adding yeah. different emotions to yeah. different words, which yeah. is it's really cool. She wrote this song in 20 minutes. This was about a guy who had cheated on her. Uh, Swifties figured out the guy's name was Sam. And it's kind of funny. My note here was imagine doing this at like 15, like you, you, you know, you cheat on someone and then million, your life is over and then millions of people like later on listen to it and know that you're a, a poop head. Imagine walking into a job interview and you're sitting there in a suit and tie ag- against other people in suit and ties and they're doing they're looking over like any background check they might have done. They say, oh, you're the guy from should have said no, <laughs> you're him. 
you cheated on Taylor? How could you? How could you? Just <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing that like there there have been a few shitheads who li- whose lives have been forever changed because they cheated on a girl in high school. Yeah. And even <laughs> the writing in this song is, you know, it was you said it was a moment of weakness and you said yes. And then the chorus, you should have said no. You should have gone home like uh, even the songwriting is really good for. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Relatable. And yeah. It also struck me as like, I would love to see an alternate universe where Taylor is like a pop rocker. This song in particular struck me as and picture of burns the same kind of thing. But like, I think there's a universe where she like. There's a universe where she kind of like has this this joint project with Dave Grohl or Foo Fighters in general. Well, she's really good friends with Haley Williams, Paramore. Yeah, that's that's the same kind of thing. But I think that would be a little bit too on the nose. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I'm try- just trying to think of like massive rock group to to partner with Taylor Swift on an album. Not that she needs any of them to do anything. But right. Uh, no, I think that would be cool. I think it would be really fucking cool. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I got for that track. Really fun one. Yeah, next up is May's song, Oh My My My. Yeah, this is uh, Mary's song. Oh, Mary's. I typed it in wrong. My Very bad. Good. Uh, this is one of those like star-crossed lover tracks here. Um, plucky banjo, low, uh, just sitting underneath. It was like sw- sweet mid-level vocals. Um, crashes in on the chorus. It really picks up in a higher level. Um, this is one where I found the the production to be a little bit lackluster because like it is fairly simple throughout the verses but then that chorus section it just feels like everything's playing on top of each other and nothing really stands out a little like picking one thing or another to to emphasize a little bit i think would add a lot to this song yeah this is one of the more forgettable ones for me off of the album uh it's about an older couple you know one of their neighbors when she was growing up that had been married forever so she kind of wrote it about them and just uh, one of the more forgettable ones for me. Yeah. But then I, what I would say is the biggest commercial success off this album, our song. Very fun, bright, energetic pop country track. Um, feel good way to cl- like This is the closer for the original track list of this album. Great way to close this album. Um, phenomenal songwriting. Yeah. Plucky, twangy banjo and simple drums, but then like these little hits of guitars and strings. It's just bright, smooth vocals. I, I love it. You I know, love it. You know what's crazy about this one? She wrote it for her freshman ninth grade talent show. Yeah, I, I, I heard something about that. And uh, sh- her line of thinking was, I've got to write an upbeat song that's going to relate to anyone. And at the time, I was dating a guy, the same guy from Tim McGraw, Drew. And we didn't have a song. So I wrote one for us, and I played it at the show. Months later, people would come up to me and say, I love that song that you played. And then they'd start singing lines of it back to me. Even though they'd only heard it once, I thought, wow, there must be something here. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's striking gold. It, it's one of it's one of the hits that, that catapults the next three albums, let's say. Yeah, and I, this, this is another one of the standout tracks from the album. Uh, our song was... It was, I think it was like number one or number two on Billboard. Yeah, so I was going to say while. this album went seven times platinum, and this song was a big part in that. Uh, and she was also 17 at the time, the first female solo artist to write or co-write every song on a platinum-selling debut album. At 15 years old. 17 at the time that it yeah, was platinum, but sure, yeah. Yeah, sure, Yeah. Fucking crazy, dude. 
But yeah, uh, absolute muscle listen and a fantastic way to round out this album. Yeah, just, you know, our song is a slamming screen door, sneaking out late, tapping on your window, just like painting very vivid images of highlights it, in a relationship. And it's fun. It, it puts you right in the scene. You can, again, close your eyes and just see like summertime and, and frolicking and I don't know, like just being a teenager. Yeah. And one more thing not related to the song, but that we didn't really talk about in the context of the album. It's kind of funny that you can you know, vividly hear like the country twang she has in her voice. Yeah, that's something I wanted to bring up. Thank you for saying that, because you don't really hear this on any album or er, I guess after this. Um, it almost feels like she's hamming Le- it leaning up. into it. She's hamming it up a little bit to try to like get that country radio like acceptance. Yeah, when I when I heard it at first, I was like, huh, that's uh different. Yeah, it's new. to I haven't heard that before. Yeah. When you think about like pop pop Taylor, uh, it doesn't sound like that at all. But even as we get into the next album, which we'll do next week is fearless. It's just Taylor. It's not twang Taylor. It's just Taylor. Um, but it still has the country sound to it. And I think that's like the next album in particular. Fantastic. Um, and I, I just think it's it's more authentic, too. OK. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to get into that one next week. A couple bonus tracks on this album. Uh, I'm only me when I'm with you. Again, more of like a country rocker, big Kelly Clarkson vibes on this one. Uh, fun track. Nothing crazy. Invisible, slower piano ballad. This is a cool, like, writing song again. Uh, just talking about a boy that, like, she sees in class, but he never sees her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a not musically one of my favorites, but interesting songwriting. Um, and then A Perfectly Good Heart. Uh, fairly generic pop country. Nothing crazy here. There's also a pop version of Teardrops on My Guitar. Yeah. That is something. Um, not a fan. No, the original is definitely better. So much better. They ju- All they really did to it was add in, like, poppier kind of, like, hip-hop drums. I mean, that is how you popify a song, is it not? Yeah, I guess. But that it's just, <laughs> it doesn't fit, man. It's right, like, right, right. it's vinegar and oil or, well, you know, water and oil type deal. Uh, anyways, overall, I think it's a really, really good debut album. Um, and I think, like we've talked about with a lot of artists, this is setting a stage for much much higher levels of success yeah i mean to be this talented in terms of songwriting and even voice even though like her voice is still developing at this point in her life like being in high school is just crazy impressive so yeah kind of actually uh reminds me a little bit of olivia rodrigo yeah i mean there's comparisons right um olivia rodrigo's a good one where she's almost blown up like she's got songs with billions of streams no don't say it no, I'm not saying she's on the same level. I'm yeah. saying like <laughs> the fact that she's as big as she is for only being, I think she's 20 or 21 right now. Is it's a it's a similar like trajectory. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, and and something I just remember now thinking about it. You made, you bring up Olivia. You bring up Olivia Rodrigo. They were both nominated for like best album of the year, I think, at the Grammys. Mm. The the new one. Um, I think it's Vampire. I yeah, remember now. And then uh, Taylor Swift's newest album, I think it's Midnight's. Yeah, Guts was the album for Olivia. Or Guts, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, interesting trajectory there. Uh, good comparison. Alrighty, That's all I got for Taylor Swift this week. Yeah, same. Thanks for listening to a, our first mini-series, I guess. I don't know what yeah. we're calling this. Yeah. but The Taylor's version. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Uh, follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Flip the Record. Like, review, subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Thanks for listening.